Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. All right, we are joined by Craig Hoffman from the Take Command podcast. He's also over at the Team 980. Craig, thank you for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Uh, happy to talk to the fine folks of Buffalo. So 2-0. and did you expect this? Did the people of DC expect this? What's going on? Um, I wouldn't say it's a total shock. I definitely thought they might drop the game against Denver. I don't think Denver's that good. So I think there's also like they played Denver and Arizona, but this Washington team's got a lot of promise. Uh, this weekend's by far the toughest test they'll have had, but I do think that there are some pieces that we'll get into, obviously, that uh, that give people here some hope for uh, this year and and certainly beyond this year. Have the expectations changed going into the season? What were the expectations? And now that they have won their first two games, are people there like, okay, maybe this team can make the playoffs. Maybe they can make a little push. Well, expectations were all over the place. Um, nationally, they were obviously not very high. A lot of people thought this would be one of the five worst teams in the league. I thought that was nuts because they went 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one last year and got better at quarterback and traded Scott Turner as an offensive coordinator for Eric Bieniemy, who's been in four <laughs> of the last five Super Bowls. So I, I do think that there is um, there was definitely low expectations around the team nationally. But locally, I think most people kind of thought they'd finish in that similar 500-ish range. The schedule is definitively harder this year than it is been in years past um they have a you know obviously some some gaps that we'll get into some of their weaknesses that could certainly bite them and i think the part of the the pessimism to the extent that there was any was those weaknesses were things that popped up last year and it was like are you guys going to improve this or are we just going to keep rolling it back and hope the there's internal improvement and players get a little bit better and those weaknesses become strengths and so um some of those have been hit or miss so far through the season. And then the biggest question was obviously Sam Howell at quarterback. And I would say so far through two games, like he's been pretty impressive. Um, this is a kid who has a ton of physical talent, a fantastic demeanor, just doesn't seem to be bothered by anything. And if he's going to continue to get better, there are certainly segments of the fan base now that are like, well, why can't they make the Super Bowl? And I'm like, well, they've got like, let's relax. It's two games. And one of them, you beat the Cardinals by four. So like, let's, let's chill a little bit. Um, but I, I do think the, the optimism has grown. And then, then there's like, let's, let's scale back for a quick second. There's optimism about this team and this franchise at large because Dan yeah, Snyder no longer owns it. Like, let's let's make sure that that, you know, Bills fans understand the, the larger context as if you know anyone needs this explained to them. But like 
there is the larger context of the Wicked Witch is dead, and there is a general sense of optimism about everything that is far, far different than anything we've experienced in the past, even when this team has been good. I mean, the closest it's been to this here uh, was predates my covering the team, but the obvious 2012 year with RG3, and yeah. uh, we, all, we all know how that ended, so hopefully this, this trends in a different direction. You know, you just brought up Sam Howell, and I've watched a little bit of the film from the last couple games, watched a little bit of the games. I like him. He seems like he's a playmaker. He seems like he's not scared to try and take the risks and take shots downfield. I respect that, especially for somebody in his position. So is he legitimate? Like, is he somebody who, you know, he's going to get at least, you know, the year, but could he be the long-term answer? He could. He absolutely could. It was funny. We do a segment on Tuesdays on the radio show called Overreaction Tuesday, and we, we bring in one of the other hosts from the station who's, um, I don't want to call him a hot take artist because I, I the Linnell special is take something that is true and then extrapolate it out to the most optimistic extreme. Um, and you know, one of his overreactions yesterday, one of his takes that I deemed an overreaction is Washington has definitely found their franchise quarterback. And I've just been doing this long enough, Matt, to know that when defensive coordinators get film on a guy, things yeah. change. And we are two games into this season and three games into his career as a starter. And so, so far, love what I see. And I think there are intangibles that, like, if I had to predict if they found their guy, I would predict, yes. I would predict yeah. that Sam Howell is the quarterback here for the next five-plus years, uh, presuming that, you know, other outside circumstances don't change that or there's no injuries or anything like that. Um, the things that I love, fantastic arm strength. Um, hilariously, like, this is such a silly metric, but last year in Madden, he had like the fifth strongest arm in the game. Like that's an accurate representation of where his arm strength is. Um, you see the touchdown throw last week to Terry McLaurin. It's like 35 yards on a rope right over Justin Simmons, a throw that is not available to many quarterbacks. Like Josh Allen could make it, but yeah. Josh Allen can make every throw. Mahomes can make it, but like that, that's the kind of class of arm we're talking about here. Um, if you want to see a possibly even a crazier throw. Go check out the third down and the two-minute drill uh, that he hits uh, to John Bates up the sideline. It's like 35 yards from the left hash up the right sideline. And you're just like, what is that? Like, that's alien stuff. Um, and so there's that. Uh, he His demeanor and kind of his mental makeup is fantastic. I've never seen a quarterback, certainly here, um, but I, even guys like Mahomes, like you watch the quarterback series on Netflix, like he gets frustrated. And I'm sure Sam does, but he just nev never shows it. Um, and, and the kind of calm, you know, leadership demeanor type of stuff that he shows is, is a plus. And, you know, obviously I do my podcast with a guy who played 10 years in the league and Logan Paulson. And he's like, it's different when you get in that huddle and you just look at a guy and like the, the guy he always brings up from his career is Matt Ryan. It's like when I, we were, and I was in Atlanta and I looked up and saw Matt Ryan in the huddle, I was like, okay, we got a shot. I don't care what the scoreboard says. Like we got a shot. And the fact that Sam Howell is inspiring that kind of confidence in his teammate and his teammates is pretty special. And then the last piece on the positive side that I think is really important is his playmaking. He picks up first downs with his legs. Like his, his last year at Carolina, the one that dropped him in the draft, he was phenomenal running the football. That's what they needed him to do. Um, unfortunately, the NFL scouts didn't like that too much, but you know, he's got it uh, in the red zone. He hit some of the plays he's made are incredible, both running the ball in and kind of buying time and throwing from odd arm angles and finding throws that shouldn't be there. Like you pause the tape and you go, where's he throwing? I don't know. He finds a little window hits Brian Robinson for a touchdown in week one on a scramble. And that stuff is really exceptional. I think the, the negatives that we're still waiting and seeing on, he holds the ball way too long. 
Um, you know, I, I think that's something the pocket awareness and kind of the, the footwork and timing and rhythm elements are still to be developed. But he's three games into his career as a starter. Absolutely things you can get better on. But he did take a lot of sacks at Carolina. So is this just who he is or is it something that's a work in progress? And for the Bills, that's potentially an area that they can exploit. The defensive line has been one of the very strong suits to start the season for them. So then we talk about the weapons, right? Everybody knows about Terry McLaurin. Antonio Gibson feels like he's fallen off, and Brian Robinson has kind of picked that back up. And then Dotson, like I'm a Dotson dynasty fantasy owner. I really like the player. I think you could make the argument that as far as weapons are concerned, this might be the most legitimate group the Bills have played. You know, the Jets have Brees Hall coming off the injury. Garrett Wilson's a stud. But then after yeah. that, there really wasn't anybody that scared you. Same thing last week. Like, Devontae Adams, unbelievable. But Jacoby Myers is hurt. So there's really not a secondary option. Washington has multiple options. Do they use all of these guys? Have they been involved as much as they should be? Sure do. Um, last week, God, now I wish I could remember the stat. The commanders put it out on social media. So it's easily easily findable for anybody. But it was like... It was the, the the basic crux of the stat. I don't remember the number of receivers, but it was the most receivers in the history of the franchise that had two plus catches in a game. So it was like seven good. or nine. It was like some insane number. You're like that. There's that many eligible receivers they can rotate in. Like yeah. it was crazy. Um, you know, we'll see what Logan Thomas's availability is. Um, he took that massive illegal hit that for some unknown reason was not a suspension uh, from Kareem Jackson in the end zone on a touchdown catch. So, you know, he, they could be down there starting tight end, but like Cole Turner is a pretty good player. The kid that they'll bring up Curtis Hodges is a, is an effective receiver as long as he can finish plays and catch the ball, but a fantastic route runner at six, eight, like both of those are former college receivers turned tight ends. Bates is uh, one of the better blocking tight ends in the league, but it can catch it a little bit. And then, yeah, you've got McLaren who's a stud Dotson, who I think, could lead this team in receptions when it's all said and done this year. Like, I think he's that talented and he's that good of a fit in the offense. He's going to get a ton of targets. The enemy's done a really good job so far of getting Curtis Samuel, the, the right amount of touches, yeah. um, super, super dangerous weapon. Hasn't really exploded yet, but he's a good receiver. He will get a couple of carries probably in the game, whether it's jet sweeps or they, they motion him into the backfield or whatever. They've had one of those in each of the first two games and then try to get him a screen or two. And then it's funny. You mentioned, it seems like Gibson's fallen off. Rushing attempts wise, that is true, but he actually played 35 snaps to Robinson's 38 the other day. It's just Robinson had 18 carries and Gibson had two, yeah. but Gibson is the explosive guy. Gibson's the guy that almost scares you more like Robinson is, is a hammer like Gibson's a bomb. And yeah. so, you know, there's a, there's a screen they have late in the game that I, I don't know what the heck. Denver was looking for. It's like it's third and long. What do you think they're running? Uh, but Gibson is able to, to get out in space and he's a shoestring tackle away from scoring on, on a screen. Um, you know, they'll get him probably three to five catches and another, you know, somewhere between two and 10 carries. So he, he's a guy that I think is certainly worth being aware of. Um, and then even like Deami Brown, their fourth receiver, he played with Hal at Carolina and is a speed, you know, four, three guy. So mm -hmm. can they get him loose on, on something? You know, he's a, a big play threat. So, They've definitely got a ton of weapons, Bienemy and how, you know, definitely spread the ball around. And can you, sh you know, super focus on Terry and, and limit him? Yeah, but at what expense to those other guys, I think, is the question that a lot of offenses uh, or a lot of defenses are going to have to solve. And then the other thing, too, is like, how much do they run it? Bienemy went 33 dropbacks, seven rushing attempts in the first half last week. Mm -hmm. And it was very even in the second half when they kind of exploded. So I, I wonder if that's an intentional choice uh, and whether that's going to continue because they can run it a little bit too. You know, Robinson's really effective as a, as a ball carrier.
I think Gibson burned the Bills for like an 80-yard run when they came here a couple of years ago early in the season. And you know what? I know the, the screen pass you're talking about. I jokingly tweeted the other day, if I was an offensive coordinator coaching against the Bills, I would call screen pass every single play because they don't know how to defend yeah. it. So that's an area that I think is very concerning for the Bills, at least defensively. Now yeah. switching to the commander's side of the, like Everybody knows about the defensive line. They're awesome. What else, though? What are the just kind of general scouting reports about the linebackers and about the secondary? Because it feels like that might be the area where the Bills could take advantage of them. So linebacker is the kind of when I when I hinted earlier that there was an area that could be improved, it seemed coming out of last season, and then they really didn't. Offensive line was one. Um, linebackers, the other. The O-line's been fine so far. Um, it, I actually think in Denver, they got to stretch. They played really well. Um, but linebacker wise, like Jamin Davis is a playmaker. He's former first round pick, which was, who was probably overdrafted, but is, was drafted based off his trades. And he shows it off last week. He makes the play that changes the game. They're down 21 to three and everything's going all wrong. He chases Russell Wilson down as a quarterback spy and is able to get him before he gets to the sideline, force a fumble. And then the commanders literally went on a 32, three run over the next couple quarters. So Davis is, is a potential playmaker. They brought in Cody Barton from Seattle in the off season, and he's been pretty disappointing. Seems like he's late to a lot of stuff. Um, you know, he got caught in a bad spot against a really tough, like concept, good play call by Sean Payton for their first touchdown last week. Uh, or one of their touchdowns last week. So linebackers a little bit, a little bit hit or miss. The thing is though, they don't actually put a heavy emphasis on linebacker in this defense because the D line is so good. Like they make a lot of plays that the linebackers don't have to, obviously they eat a lot of blocks, making the, the job a lot easier. And then they actually just don't play a lot of linebackers. Like Davis only played 40 something of the 66. I think it was 41 of 66 snaps last week. Barton's on the field for all of them. Um, but they play with one or two linebackers most of the time. They play a lot of Cinco front, so five defensive linemen, and they bring Cam Curl down into the box, and Curl is like the the best defensive player in the league that you've never heard of. Um, safety is going to get paid massive money. He was PFF's second-graded safety for last season, so like consistency is there. Um, he's really good, and he plays some in the post. He plays some in the box. Um, they've they've got a kid named Percy Butler who's super duper fast, and it is a fourth round pick from a couple of years ago. Who's really come into his own. So he's kind of the third safety that rotates in along with Derek Forrest, and that trio is really good. And whether Curl is playing up in the box or back with Forrest, they're good there. Corner like Kendall Fuller is a pros pro. He you can get him, um, but not consistently. He's very good. Benjamin St. Juice super handsy on the other side. Like it would not surprise me if Diggs can, you know, get matched up on him and draw a couple PIs. Super physical, gets away with the PI bluntly on the two point conversion uh, that Denver <laughs> is attempting after the Hail Mary last week to to yeah. win them the game. Um, and then Emmanuel Forbes is kind of the wild card. Uh, their first round pick, who is crazy ball hot, got his got his hands on a ball last week for his first career interception. Had he not slipped, he would have taken it to the house for a pick six. He's the NCAA all time leader in pick sixes. Like that's what he does, and he's playing about two thirds of the snaps right now crazy good ball hawk and if, if josh allen's going to challenge him which we know josh will take some risks and yeah. you know the the antithesis of risk averse um forbes could get another one th this week for sure um so is there is there stuff available in the secondary yeah but it's pretty good um is there stuff available on the second level yes definitely but that all is predicated on blocking things up front and they've been very very good at schematically getting their guys one-on-ones and then those you know those four first round picks winning those one-on-ones uh specifically last week Deron Payne had a three and out literally by himself um that was one of the craziest sequences I've ever seen from a, a defensive lineman 
Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I hate the line for this game. I feel like it's probably going to be closer than what Vegas thinks it's going to be. But, you know, Vegas always wins. So what the heck do I know? For you, what do the commanders have to do to get a win? Screw covering. Just like, what do they have to do to get a win? Yeah, I think turnovers. I mean, look, there's there's two pieces of lazy analysis that are only lazy because they're so obvious, not because they're not correct. And that's turnovers and explosive plays, right? If you win the turnover battle and you get extra possessions, you take away possessions from your opponent, it's going to be a lot easier. The question is, how do you do that? Well, you have to capitalize on opportunities. Josh Allen will throw you the football, catch it. Like that, it sometimes it's that simple. Like, you know, the NBA is a make or miss league. Sometimes the NFL is a catch it or don't catch it league. And it's whether or not the announcer uh, is going to be like, well, that's why that guy plays defense. Um, So there's, there's some of that. The explosive plays part is what killed them last week. And, and Logan always has fun with me because he's like, oh, cool, good good take, guy. You know, how are they going to limit the explosive plays? And I think it's on Del Rio, Jack Del Rio is their defensive coordinator, to make sure that he's calling stuff that they're not going to botch. Like, they had coverage busts last week. So do you play vanilla enough that you do not bust coverage and you make the Bills earn it over the course of long drives? And then offensively, like, can you generate the explosive plays? You know, can can you limit the the big sacks and getting off schedule? And so that's on, you know, a lot of on the enemy to mix in the screen game, mix in the runs, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think this can be a close game. I think the commanders can win. The commanders ceiling is, I don't want to say as high as any team in the league, but it's it's really high. Like Sam Howell's really talented. Their skill positions are great. Their defensive uh, front is is thoroughly capable of dominating a game. But that's not what actually makes a team great. What makes a team great is how consistently they achieve it. And they have yet to put together a full fourth quarters, even though they have gotten two wins so far. So that, that to me is the question. Like, how consistently can you execute? Can you limit big plays uh, for Allen and company? Can you turn them over? And whether it's tricking him or whether it's just taking advantage of the mistakes, you know, TBD. But yeah, absolutely. They can win this game. I'm not going to pick them, but they can. Yeah. And to your point, you're not going to pick them. Why? Why do you think the Bills are just, you know, that I know, right? Like they've been to the AFC championship. They go to the playoffs every year now. They have Josh Allen. Like it's an easy reason to say like, oh, I'm picking the Bills. But what is the particular reason? Is it the defense isn't good enough or the offense can't go hang 30 on the Bills D? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the defense is going to be a much more significant challenge than what they face. I mean, Denver's defense is pretty good, but like they're back. Like Simmons is ridiculous. Uh, the safety, you know, Sertan is is maybe the best corner in football at this point. Uh, there's a couple of commanders players going into last week saying like, you know, they've played him and or watched the tape and they're just like, that dude's better than everybody else. If not, he's, he's certainly top three, but their pass rush is not that good. Um, Randy Gregory is like good as an idea. Frank Clark was out and is only still good as an idea. They, they don't really have that much. The Bills do. And specifically on the interior of the offensive line, like that's kind of an unproven group. Like Sadiq Charles has been phenomenal. Their left guard through two games. Well, what happens when you got Ed Oliver over you? Like yeah. that, those are the kinds of questions that I don't know that they'll answer quite enough in the affirmative to keep up with 
Josh Allen and the Bills. And I, I just trust who the Bills are from a consistency standpoint over 60 minutes more than the commanders. Um, but I won't be surprised if it goes the other way. And boy, if it does, is is it going to be a crazy town going into that Eagles game for us? Like my radio show is just going to be like, hey, call in and sound excited for 12 segments a day, five days a week. You know, it was already like 12 years ago, but back in 2011, the Bills started 2-0, and and then the Patriots came to town, and they beat the Patriots to go to 3-0, and and that was like right in the middle of the Patriots dynasty, and yeah. this entire city for that one week was like, oh, yeah. things are back, baby, and then, you know, then reality kind of slapped him in the face. Well, here's the funny part. So you mentioned 2011. That's the last time the Commanders were 2-0, and and they wow. won five games that year. Wow. So, so not great. So commanders fans do not need history to repeat itself this season. No, that would be, that would be great. I mean, the good news for them schedule wise uh, is like the Eagles are coming, which obviously is a massive test, but they've got the bears after that, who look like an absolute dumpster fire. So, yeah. um, you know, they, if they can win this one, like they could very easily be four and one while the rest of the week is playing week five. Uh, Cause that, that bears game is a Thursday nighter. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that at least gets you a cushion, uh, but we'll see. They've, they've been very streaky under Rivera. They've had, extended winning streaks extended losing streaks um and that's that's you know another element matt that that probably is worth mentioning like the familiarity of the coordinators and the coaches in this Absolute, game is pretty absolutely. interesting because the enemy's obviously got a long history going against the bills in kansas mm-hmm. city and massive massive games obviously rivera was uh mcdermott's mentor and yeah. now that sean's calling the the defense again up there like is it the same defense they were running in Carolina? How familiar is it? How much is Ron giving that information to Eric? How much is Eric looking at a different defense versus, I mean, this would be a good question for you that your audience already knows. So I can ask you this off the air, but like, yeah, how different is the defense with Sean calling it versus Leslie Frazier calling it because the enemy's used to what Leslie Frazier calls. So like, what is the difference there? So there's, there's a lot of like those schematic things that seem small and hyper detailed that I think are actually super important to this game. Because like, for instance, last week, the enemy owns Vance Joseph, which is hilarious because they're literally childhood friends. Like they grew up <laughs> in the same area of Louisiana. And I've been saying the line all week, like that's no way to treat your friend. Eric, the just beats the tar out of him every single time. And it mattered last week. Like the enemy finally found Joseph's rhythm and they went on a 32 to three run. So what is that like this week with the enemy versus McDermott with the help of Rivera, who, obviously used to have Sean coaching underneath them. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting game. I don't think that two weeks ago, people at least here would have thought it was as interesting as it's going to be. I think probably a lot of people slept on Washington a bit and thought the bills were going to be humming at this point right now. They're not really yet. So we'll see what happens. Craig, tell everybody where they can follow you, listen to you as they try and get ready for this matchup. So uh, on Twitter, uh, which I'm still calling it Twitter, uh, at Craig Hoffman. And then uh, the the radio show is on the Team 980, the Hoffman Show, daily 4 to 7, which you can listen to on the free Odyssey app. Uh, And then we also stream that live on YouTube at the Team 980. And then the Take Command podcast is me and my guy, Logan Paulson, who played 10 years in the league, one of the smartest guys. He always jokes that uh, he had no business playing in the NFL. He wasn't athletic enough. So that's how smart the guy is. Uh, So you can listen to that uh, anywhere you listen to this podcast. Craig Hoffman, thank you so much, man. You got it. Thanks, Matt.